0: Hi, everyone. Uh, Today's sermon is going to be on Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. And so if you haven't read that yet, go ahead and pause this video, read it. Uh, We're continuing in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today's sermon is entitled uh, Mind and Marriage. Uh, And this is sort of a tough passage. You know, um, especially when we're talking about things like adultery and divorce. Um, We all have a story of divorce, right? Um, All of us know someone who's been divorced. All of us have been affected one way or another. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's our own family, maybe it's yourself, right? Um, But Jesus taught on this because it was a big issue in his time, and it's still a big issue for us today. And so I think it's important that we look at this text. Um, not only with historical eyes, but then also eyes for today. And so whether we are married or single, whether we are divorced, you know, wherever we are in life, this is a teaching that's important, I think, for all of us. And so he starts in verse 27 by alluding to the Old Testament again, to the Ten Commandments. He said, you have heard it said, you know, you should not commit adultery, right? This is one of the Ten Commandments. Um, but then he continues and then he says in verse 28 that anyone who, who looks, who, who thinks about adultery, who, pres, who like goes down the road in their mind towards these things, um, looking with lust or desire after another person, has done the same. Right? This, is sort of a, this is a tough teaching. And he continues then in verses 29 and 30 to even say that if your eye or your hand causes you to sin that you should gouge out your eye or cut your hand off. All right, this is a serious teaching. Now, um, let's talk about this a little bit because verses 29 and 30 where he's talking about cutting off our hands and gouging out our eyes are obvious hyperboles, right? Uh, this is an exaggeration uh, to prove a point. And uh, we need to know this, first of all, so that we can still have hands and fingers and eyes and mouths and all the things that come with it, but... Um, so that we can understand what Jesus is trying to teach us. What he's saying is is pretty simple. He's saying that we need to separate ourselves from the things that cause us to sin. We need to identify sin in our lives, and then we need to find out what those things are and get them out of our lives. We hear this also, also in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Or it says, uh, therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you are surrounded by such a great number of brothers and sisters in Christ, we should throw off everything that entangles us. All the sin and all the things that lead us to sin, we should get rid of because we don't need them. That in doing so, we worship, right? And so Jesus is, is just reinforcing this teaching that is not a new teaching. Hebrews talks about it. Jesus talks about it. The Old Testament talks about it. In fact, um, remember, Jesus is fulfilling the law. And so what he's doing is just continuing what the Old Testament says. If you remember, the Old Testament asked the, the, the Mosaic Law and the Ten Commandments, the whole purpose of these things was to set Israel apart from its neighbors, that they would live different lives, that they would live holy and pure lives after God and not in the way that other people around the time did, the Canaanites and the Philistines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. God asked the Israelites to be different. And this is why in the Old Testament, God asked the Israelites not to marry people from other tribes. This is why God asked them to take the entire promised land so that they wouldn't be intermingling with people of different, you know, Idolatrous faiths or people who worshiped other gods. And we know, of course, that they didn't do this. <laughs> it would be great if they did, but they didn't. They did not separate themselves. They did not get rid of the sin that entangled them and instead um, began worshiping false gods and began to do things that God had not commanded them to do. If you read the book of Joshua and Judges, we see this over and over and over again, generation after generation. Jesus is continuing this same teaching from the Old Testament, telling us to be set apart, to be different. And the way he does it is through sort of a very drastic statement to say that if your hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off. Something we would remember, right? Um, So for us today, what does that look like? You know, if we have a friend who is really toxic or manipulative, maybe we should, you know, investigate how we can leave that relationship. Maybe if you have a job that's asking you to do things that are immoral or even unethical. Maybe we should, you should consider finding a new job. Maybe it's wasting time. <laughs> Maybe it's you spend so much time playing video games or so much time wasting time on social media. You should just get rid of those things because the, the amount of time you spend on them has actually become sin and has distracted you from God. Could be anything. It could be the content. You choose to watch. Maybe it's not wasting time, but the content you choose to watch on the internet or on Netflix, it leads you to be sad or angry or depressed. Jesus says, cut those things out. Maybe it's self-control with food or alcohol. Jesus says that we need to cut these things out of our lives. And obviously we can't cut food out of our lives. (laughs) So we should find people who can, like the Hebrews passage says, this great cloud of witnesses, we should find people who can help us overcome some of these things who can help us be healthy about these things. Maybe it's spending. I've known people who have struggled with spending. And the, you, you, we can't get rid of money. We need money. So what, what people have done is actually asked a friend to help them with their spending, to set a budget. They show them their bank statements every month so that they could be accountable to what they're spending. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your thought life. Like Jesus said, if, maybe it's not adultery, but it's adultery in your mind. I don't know what it is. But Jesus says, if you can identify the things that are leading you to sin, you should remove them. If you have something in your life that is not bringing glory to God, if you have things in your life that are not drawing you into his presence, but instead are pushing you away from his holy presence, we should get rid of them. Because after all, that's what Jesus wants, right? For the Old Testament, it was the Israelites would be set apart from the other tribes and nations around them. And for us, it is that we would be holy, which just means set apart. 1 Peter 1.16, Peter quotes the Old Testament and says what? Be holy as I am holy. This is our calling. This is our command, that you and me would be holy. And to do so, we have to get rid of that stuff that is dragging us down, that is tangling us. And so, he goes from this teaching on adultery in sin, right into a very practical matter of the day. And in verse 31 and 32, and says, and addresses the issue of divorce. He says that you've heard it said that anyone who wants to be divorced must give a certificate. Now, what this is referring to in verse 31 um, is the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. Moses said that if a man would like to divorce his wife, that he must give her a certificate of divorce, essentially stating a reason and um, allowing her to go off and do something else. Now, if you read later in Matthew, Jesus actually addresses the issue of divorce even more. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, the first 12 verses of Matthew 19 talk about this in even greater depth. But essentially what Jesus says is the only reason God did that with Moses was because the people's hearts were so hard, and he knew they would be seeking divorce, and so he gave them an outlet to do this. Um, But this was not God's intent, right? What Jesus says that God's intent was in Matthew chapter 19 was that two people would come together in marriage. They would become one flesh, as it says in Genesis, and that they would not be separated. The actual quote is, therefore, you've heard this in a wedding. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's scripture from Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. And this was the will of God with marriage that two people who enter into a covenant marriage would never be separated. And so it's not just about a caveat here about a certificate of divorce or a reason for divorce, but God's intent. God does not intend that those who are married would be separated. And the reason he draws such a hard line on this, Jesus does here, is because, remember, Jesus was a rabbi. And and at this time, people would go to rabbis for their interpretation of the law. And many rabbis around this time would tell people that you can divorce your wife for almost any reason. It's amazing. You can look this up online. There's rabbinical law from the first couple of centuries that talk about men divorcing their wives for small, mundane reasons. And Jesus is saying, no, this is not what it's supposed to be like. And so Jesus is drawing a very conservative line here for his followers and saying, listen, if you choose to be divorced... It is for this one reason: this sexual immorality, or this sort of uh, this idea of adultery. Because to be divorced is not God's intent. God's intent is righteousness, and righteousness comes from a unity between two people who have committed to one another, in, in, in the eyes of God, and are going and living, serving life together. And so many people wonder when they read this passage. So then. What if someone's divorced? Can they be remarried? Does God allow this? You know, What do you and I do with this today? How do we learn from this? Well, um, for this sermon, and to understand a little bit more about this perspective, um, I've been married 10 years this summer, and um, I am by no means an expert, but I've never been divorced. I've never gone through this. Um, I'm a child of divorce. I know a little bit about what it does, <laughs> but I've never gone through it myself. And so I actually reached out to some people I trust a lot. Um, I interviewed my mom and my stepdad, and (laughs) they were a little weirded out by it at first. They're like, why are you interviewing me? And I said, well, because I want to learn more. I want to learn about your perspective and what you think about this. So I asked my mom and and, and my stepdad, Mike, both of whom have been married, divorced, and remarried. Uh, Both of them love Jesus more than each other, and both of them actually now work with many couples who are going through the same things. Couples who are trying to revitalize their marriage, couples who have been divorced, couples who are seeking to be married. Um, they, do, they work with a lot of people in this, and they do a lot of ministry in this area. And so I thought they'd be perfect to ask. And uh, their perspective, I thought, was really amazing, really powerful. Uh, they both have these amazing stories of sin and redemption in their lives. Uh, and they told me a, cool, a few cool things that I really want to share. Um, when I was a teenager, so I don't remember this, but when they were dating and they were seeking to be remarried, they were really cautious because of passages like this, because Jesus sort of took a really conservative approach and said, you can only be remarried or divorced because of certain things and what we just read. And so when they were seeking to be married, what they did was they actually sought wisdom from a huge number of people they sought counsel from other christians right like we said in hebrews since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let's throw off everything that entangles us so what they did was they went to this cloud of witnesses they went to this group of people around them in their lives pastors and friends and other believers who had been christians longer than them and asked them should we do this can we do this what is the process for doing this Right? They went to pastors, asked if they could be married, considering their past. They went to counseling and therapy to pursue the best options for their, themselves and their own faith. And they trusted the counsel of those who, who encouraged them. And everyone around them agreed that they had been pursuing God and that they had been growing in the faith and that their previous marriages weren't even started under faith and weren't started pursuing God and that God would not only allow them to be remarried, but that all of the people in their lives actually affirmed with them that God would be glorified by them being married and pursuing ministry in God together. Um, it was a really interesting thought. You know, many times, whether it's marriage or something else, when we decide we want to do something, we just look for people who are going to tell us what we want to hear. Who are just going to say, yeah, that's great, do it. You know, it's like a, like a businessman who surrounds himself with people who just always say yes to him. We always surround ourselves with people who just say yes to us. But in in their experience, they asked people diligently. And I think for all of us, this is a really important thing to think about. Are we asking people? Are we seeking what God has for our lives? Are we going to Christians? Are we going to our pastors, our friends, people who we consider spiritual authorities? And trying to interpret some of these things we read in scripture for how best to live. Because even though my parents had been divorced and gone through terrible pain because of it, they acknowledged how horrible divorce was. The other thing they said to me, which I thought was so fascinating, is I always thought that they would take a more sort of not such a conservative approach and thinking, well, divorce is bad, but really God can use it for great things. And while that's true, one of the things they told me and they reiterated over and over again was that God does not want divorce. As people trying to Make things happen. We sometimes think that, oh, no, no, it's okay because this happened and this happened and, and, and it's better that we just do this. We better, better that we get divorced. Better that we split up. Better that we just move on. You know, my parents are experienced couples counselors and they work with people with addictions and they work with people with great pain. And their advice to everyone who are going through the most painful marital situations, painful family situations is just wait. I mean, think about that. Their advice is to say, just take a year and seek Jesus. You don't have to live together. You don't have to spend time together if you don't want to. But just before you do anything drastic, before you seek divorce, before you seek a breaking of this commitment for the rest of your life, take a year and seek Jesus. They work with, my parents work with couples who have gone through hell and want to end the marriage now. And they say, I'm done. I'm ready to move on. And their counsel right then and there is that God does not want divorce. And God wants us to seek him more than anything else. And they tell people, just take a year and pursue Jesus. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, slow down and pursue Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? I thought that was really interesting. Because the bigger picture here is that whether you're single or married, whether you are a brand new Christian or you've been a Christian your whole life, God wants us, above all, to pursue holiness, to live a life that's different than non-believers, to live a life in a way where Jesus actually changes what we say and what we do. Because our first commitment, whether you're married or not, our first commitment, every single one of us, if we identify Christ as our Savior, is to God. That is our very first commitment. And when we make that decision, that decision is for our entire lives. That decision is for all of eternity that we would seek holiness and righteous living. And if you are committing to enter into a marriage, a marriage is intended to be for life in the same way. God does not want divorce. God intends for a married couple to stay together. (laughs) And just, it doesn't, I don't have as much time, but I don't care, I'm going to mention this. It's not just God wants us to stay together in marriage if we choose to be married for the sake of it, but God wants us to experience a deep, rich, life-changing love. Married couples, let me just say, um, read the first couple chapters of the Song of Solomon. About chapter 1, verse 15 through chapter 2, and it talks about this young man and this young woman falling in love with each other. God doesn't just want marriage for the sake of the symbolism of it or the rule, but God wants us to enjoy the people we live life with. God wants us to have a beautiful, loving relationship. And so pursuing God, whether we're married, whether we're not, pursuing God for for the sake of holiness is really our calling. And I just want to mention this, that of course there's times for divorce. Of course, even Jesus says that there's for um, sexual infidelity, for, um, I would even extend that to anything where there's something that's unsafe, right? If, 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 if a person in in a partnership or a marriage is unsafe or children are unsafe, or there's emotional, spiritual, physical abuse, that those are all justifiable reasons. But when we talk about marriage, when we talk about the purpose of it and what God designed for it, it is not divorce. And I want to mention now Something that I think is really interesting, too, is it, for those who are single, for those who have chosen not to be married or those who are not married, don't feel ostracized by this. Don't feel like there is some higher calling for the married person. Because if you read Matthew 19, um, the disciples, after Jesus says these things, actually say, well, who can do this? This is so difficult. It's better that we don't get married. And Jesus says, yeah, it's really hard <laughs> to hear this teaching, Right. There's actually a spiritual lesson here for all of us as well. Not just for married people, but for all of us, because adultery is actually a theme used in the Old Testament and in Scripture for when we wander away from God as well. It's an analogy that's used to describe Israel's wandering from their worship of God. This is why we read the prophet Hosea chapter 3 for our Old Testament passage. right? That, That When Israel wandered away from God, God said, They were being adulterous, that they had made a commitment to God, and yet they had gone after other gods and sought other things. And so for all of us, we need to know that marriage is a serious thing. But even outside of our commitment to a spouse, think about our commitment to our God. If holiness is the number one thing we should be pursuing, then we should also take this very seriously and look at our sin in our life as spiritual adultery against God. That in the same way we may choose to make a commitment to a spouse or a partner in this life, we make a commitment to God, whether it be in baptism, whether it be in becoming a Christian, whatever it is, we are making a commitment. And the question we need to ask ourselves as a church is, are we adulterers to God? Do we seek divorce from God and follow after our lustful desires? Do we... In our hearts, think about things that are not of God. In our in our hearts and in our minds, do we allow our our minds to go down roads that do not lead to worship but to sin? Are our thoughts after God or our own desires? In marriage, Christ says that we are to be faithful in thought and deed. And in worship, we are to be holy. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be holy. Jesus says, not everyone can accept this word in Matthew 19, 11. Can you accept it? Can you submit your heart to God? Whether you're married or not, it doesn't matter. You have to submit your heart to God, all of you, with all of your choices. And yes, sometimes we'll mess up. But the one who can accept this word is the one who is willing, wholly, to commit to God and his teachings through Jesus Christ. For the single person, be committed to Jesus for the married person, be committed to Jesus. For the dating couple, be committed to Jesus together. For, for the couple thinking about divorce, for the divorce couple, for the couple thinking about getting remarried, wherever you're at on the spectrum. Jesus, 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 and then more Jesus. The underlying thing for all of these truths is holiness. And I actually asked my parents this before we got off the call. Um, A couple days ago, and I just said, so if you were teaching this to someone or a couple, based on your experience, what is one thing you would want someone to know? Based on their experience dealing with lots of couples and lots of people who have gone through divorce, what's one thing you would want them to know about all of this? When we think about adultery and divorce and commitment to God and all of these things, and they said, this is not about rules and regulations, This is about saving us and restoring our hearts. Jesus wants to restore our hearts. And hear this now. Jesus gives us these guidelines and rules to save us from pain. Think about that. This is a protective measure. And it's not just a protective measure for you and for your heart, but for your family, for the people you care most about in this world. This is not rules for rules sake. This is about Jesus wanting us to be safe. This is about Jesus wanting to protect, heal, and keep us from pain. About keeping our families and our friends safe. And this is a hard topic, as I said, because we all have a story about divorce. Maybe it's your story. Maybe it's your friend's story. Maybe it's your parent's story. I don't know what it is. But every single person I've ever met has been affected by divorce. We know what divorce does. We know what adultery does. Jesus teaches us these things that we might be spared from more pain in our lives. Church, that same pain applies when we wander away from God. That same pain comes into our lives. And we know it does when we go down a road of sin and wandering from our God or wandering from a spouse, for the single person, for the married person. It's the same thing when we make commitments God asks us to pursue His holiness, His righteousness first. And so, church, let's turn to Jesus, that in our worship, our relationships, our marriages, we would be honoring God and God alone, that we would seek to pursue God with our whole heart in what we say and do, wherever we find ourselves, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's at home with a, a partner or a spouse, or whether it's with family. Let us seek holiness and God's righteousness above all else so that we would be not only freed from pain, but that Christ can restore our hearts the way he desires to do. Church, my hope and prayer for you is that you would listen to what God is showing you and speaking to you, how he wants to restore your heart. Let's pray. God, thank you. We give you our stories. We give you our pain. We give you our hurt. Use us in great and miraculous ways as we go forward. Show us your healing touch. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you have a great week and I hope to see you soon.